Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Sam. So this week for Halloween week, I was going to do something kind of different, but I didn't. I'm just doing usual case, so sorry. I thought about it and didn't. And the only reason I actually know about this case is because um, something came into the news about it the other day. But apart from that, I had actually never heard of this. So this week, I'll be telling you the case of Linda Spence. Have you heard of Linda Spence? Does it ring a bell? The name actually does ring a bell for once in my life. Okay. You probably just know a Linda Spence. <laughs> probably. Her name's actually spelled L-Y-N-D-A. Oh. Which I have never seen before. And I'm assuming it's Linda. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Mind so you, I saw like a lit... No, it doesn't matter. Ignore me. Okay. So we'll just keep calling her Linda. If it's wrong, I, I, I won't be wrong. Anyway, okay. Linda was born on the 8th of September 1983 to parents James and Patricia. Now, she was brought up in Penny Lee, which is in Paisley, and went to school there and eventually went on to Paisley Grammar. Um, even when she was at high school, she was actually working two jobs in local chippies when she was 14. Um, she was a thoughtful girl. She was actually known to like help other people like her age and stuff get their Christmas jobs so they could have like money, etc., and like her mum described her as like a typical teenager she wasn't any bother she was just like a kind happy smiley girl really and she didn't have a bad word to say about anybody she actually joined the RAF air cadets at school and she went to a recruitment drive with her mum at 17 but they said like look we would definitely recruit you but we think you should go and get some life experience first and maybe come back at the age of 19 but Linda was quite like a impatient person or she's not going to sit around, get life experience and then do this at 19. She wants to be out working. So she left school and she actually got a job in a bank call centre and she did that for the next five years over different call centres. Now, this is the first time at this age of 17 she gets involved in something which is a little bit dodgy. and It's quite dodgy, to be honest. And a lot of the things I'm going to tell you that Linda gets involved in aren't great. So she actually got involved with an Albanian man named Zokal Zefraj and he was an asylum seeker and he wanted to stay in the country but he couldn't. So she came up with a plan for him to marry somebody so he could get like a marriage visa and stay in the country. Now she didn't want to do this or couldn't do this. I'm not 100% sure what the reason was. I know there was something that she didn't want her parents to know and I mean it is like we don't actually know completely how she knew this person. I don't know if they were colleagues or if she was helping him through the bank. So she actually got her friend Amanda Roberts to marry him. And she did. Like this friend of hers just married this guy so he could stay in the country. Now, would you do that for me, Caitlin? No. Um, I think <laughs> my boyfriend would be really angry about that. Um, so she tried out providing financial services herself for people like to help them obtain mortgages if they've got bad credit and a year into her business which was November 2008 it actually stopped and she was then declared bankrupt with £40,000 worth of debt. A year later in December 2009 she had written off her debt which I was like have I read that wrong because that means she'd managed to write off 40000 in a year which good on her I don't know if she got help or ever how she did that and she then started Fraser Properties with the money her parents had given her with the sale of her dead grandmother's house. And at this time, she was age 26. Now, she began renting out properties and she actually bought two flats in a well-off area in Glasgow. And she drove a convertible Mercedes. Now, she very much lived the high life. Like, she lived this really expensive life. She'd 
like going out for dinner, taking her friends out and paying for everything. She loved going to the casino. She always had the most like glamorous outfits on and always had the most like top end fashion. She then hires this friend, Amanda Roberts, who married the asylum seeker, to work in her business. And um, she found time like every Saturday to take her mum out for dinner and shopping each week. And like was a really, as we said earlier, really thoughtful per- like person. And obviously now she has money. She likes being able to spend that on people. However, she realised she wouldn't have the money and lifestyle if she wore, like that she wanted if she just obtained mortgages for people. Because like, that's a good enough paid job and her, her business going well. But the life she wanted and life she was going into, she needed more money to like keep that going. So she got involved in property development. Now, there was a development called Lockburn Gate in Maryhill in Glasgow. And when she got involved, like people described her as confident and likeable. So you're going to trust this woman. And she actually approached the Glasgow's Chinese community to tell them of this development that she was involved in. And many were happy to get involved and actually gave her money. So she had 30 clients who wanted to get involved and had the equivalent of about £175,000 of deposit. And this was like, what, 2010-ish? So that money now, do you know what I mean? That's a huge amount of money. Now, she got the money she wanted and needed. However, the development never happened. Like, so the time went on and the clients were obviously a bit concerned. Then they got angry and then they actually turned up at the building, like, demanding their money back, but, like, no luck. So eventually they went to Strathclyde Police and the police opened an investigation into her, but she was, like, not really faced. She was always on the lookout to, like, make more money. So this is when 41-year-old Colin Coates came to her and they met through a business friend, Tony Kelly, Colin was a former IT specialist and made his money in London's financial services. And he made lots of money. He had the house, the wife, the kids. But it obviously went to his head and he became a really heavy drinker with a bad cocaine habit. He also had an explosive temper, so he lost pretty much nearly everything. He had a history of violence against his ex-wife and his ex-wife's sister. And he was actually fined for this and got two years probation. He also got done for beating up a Celtic fan when he was given a suspended sentence. And in 2010, he assaulted a cabin crew member and a fellow passenger on a flight to Glasgow the previous year. Now, in 2010, Linda and Colin got into a business deal and he invested £85,000, which is about £140,000 now, I think, which was all the money he had due to blowing it. It's all he had left. And Linda said he would get roughly £131,000 back. But again, it went wrong pretty quickly. So Colin realised there was no deal and that Linda had spent his money on her fancy life um, she made up another lie saying that he would actually earn millions from land and property deal Neil Stansted so she was doing that if he just held on and he did but I think like at first I was like why is he ha- like holding on but then she doesn't have money to give him so he might as well just be like fine and she continued to string this guy along and eventually told him that she was going to be ba- like paying him um, as she was getting paid from the Danish government so, like, he was getting government bonds, sorry, of about six million. So he agreed. And again, there was no deal. So what Linda did is convinced a printer she knew to print fake Danish bonds to give him. However, like, this guy's not thick. He's a businessman. He knows they're fake. And he had enough and basically, like, took a step away from this and began plotting his revenge. Now, Linda had also made a deal with property developer John Glenn, who gave her around 158000 as part of a fake deal. And he wanted it back. But Linda had obviously spent it and he was quite abusive so he sent her abusive text and basically this is when she realized she had messed up like think about the amount of people that are against her 
at this point and how many people's money she's spent and how many people are going to want their money back. Angry people. Yeah. Now, this is also a time in her life when something from her past comes back to kind of haunt her almost, something that I've already told you. So if you all remember the Albanian man, Zokal, who married her friend Amanda. Now, apparently they divorced four years into the marriage and he married Linda, but he completely denies this, although she actually went on to use his surname for some of her business transactions. Well, anyway, she had, like, numerous alliances that used to, like, help her make fake passports for people coming into the country from Eastern Europe. It's like a side hustle she kind of had on. But due to her alleged, like, marriage to him and their, like, close relationship, she was in the process of being recruited as an informer or source by the then known Scottish Crime and Drug Enforcement Agency, which were now defunct, basically. But they were interested in Zocal. So on the 14th of April 2010 is when she was recruited to do this. Are you keeping up with me? I know this sounds like a lot of information, but I hope I'm making sense. So Yeah, no, you are. It is a okay. lot. but Yeah, so bear with me. You need to pause and go get a cup of tea. I don't blame you. Okay, so Linda in late 2010 um, basically was still doing all this. And Amanda, her friend, remember, who was her friend that worked for her and also married the guy, left the business due to customer complaints and rarely being paid. Now, she was still able to access Linda's emails, though. And she came across an email and texted her friend saying she's got some deal with Arabs and Albanians going on with peeps in New York. It's a bit dodgy sounding. Now, nobody knows what that deal was. Maybe it is the passport thing. Maybe it's how that marriage thing came about. Nobody really knows. Now, Christmas 2010, um, Linda spent it in a plush hotel. However, in the new year, her finance business ended and it was obvious she was struggling. Now, this is when, again, she basically had no money and her parents actually ended up affected because she agreed for, she got the bungalow money for her grand, like the grand's bungalow money to set up her business, she would rent them a flat and keep paying their rent. However, she was unable to do this, so her parents actually became temporarily homeless and Linda had to sign on for job seekers allowance and benefits and began pawning her jewellery. Now, according to her mum, her behaviour began changing and she became quite distant and just seemed really busy and just really secretive. Now, on Wednesday the 13th of April, it's actually her mum Patricia's 55th birthday. Now, birthdays are quite a big thing in their family by, like, the kind of what I can gather. Like, I think they're really big celebrations. Everyone gets together. It's all lovely and stuff. And at 6pm, she turned up to her parents' flat, which is in the waterfront of Glasgow. I don't know if this was the one she was renting and then nearly lost, or they got another one. I don't know. But it sounds like it was quite a nice flat for them. And she turned up with a bunch of flowers with a female friend. She stayed for about 15 minutes and then got up to leave, saying that she'd come back in half an hour. Now, obviously, her mum's like, well, it's my birthday. Like, why are you leaving? Kind of thing. But she's like, I'll come back in half an hour. Like, she seemed distant, but, like, nothing was obviously wrong. And she never returned that night to her parents. And they just kind of were like, oh, well, okay. So she's just busy. And they're obviously a bit like, that's annoying. But this actually ends up being the last time her parents would ever physically see her alive. Now, nobody knows what she did that night, but on Thursday the 15th of April, she went to a flat in Hillpath, which is in Glasgow, who belonged to Colin Coates. Now, she drove a rented car, which was rented from the 1st of April that month, and on arrival, she met Coates, and his friend ended up being there, who was Philip Wade, who was a 40-year-old drug dealer, and he didn't only, like, deal drugs, he actually enforced drug debts. 
Um, and he brought up the fact that she extorted £2,000 from his family, apparently. There is, like, no... Like, she obviously is, like, well, I was taking a lot of money off a lot of people, so is isn't 100% sure. They then restrained her and took her to a flat 45-minute drive away in West Kilbride, which is a village on North Ayrshire, kind of way. And what is, like, quite ironic about West Kilbride, it's actually, like, one things for like community spirit and it's like a really lovely little place to stay apparently and they took her to flat four 104 Meadowfoot Road which is about half a mile from the centre and it's about a 47 minute drive from Colin Coates's flat that she'd went to so imagine being restrained and being driven for 47 minutes like that must have been the longest 47 minutes of her life now this flat belonged to David Parker, a drug addict, and he was approached by another addict at the start of April and was asked if he'd let his flat out for a couple of days. He allowed this as he hasn't actually been living there due to, I think it was plumbing issues or leaking issues in the flat, so he hadn't actually been staying there. So he was like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. So Coates and Wade took, the, uh, took Parker and his friend to the flat and told them to remove anything proving his ID, like photos, letters, anything that could like link back to whose flat that was. Now, after being questioned, he said he thought that was weird, but kind of just went on with it. And I was like, right, okay, like, I suppose it's a very different lifestyle Maybe from my own. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I was like, okay. But Parker and the other addict were there when they brought Linda and they put her in the attic. So this flat was like the top floor, so it had like an attic space as well. Parker said that he heard raised voices and muffled cries and when he went to the attic he found her tied to an office chair by the waist, arms and legs with tape over her mouth and eyes. He was shocked at what he saw and when he spoke to the other guy they basically were like look these guys are quite serious like I would just go with it kind of thing which I don't know it's I think that's a really hard situation to be in to just be like they are tough guys so like what can you do? Um Sorry, I've actually. I know, but to be honest, I think I would be like, okay, no problem. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And sorry, I just keep saying the other guy, his name's actually Paul Smith. So it's Parker and Smith that are the two guys like are owning the flat, and then and it's Wade and Coates that have asked to rent the flat. So she was actually Linda was kept there for two weeks, tied to this chair, and while she was there, they basically tortured her. Now, Wade and Coach returned and Wade had a torture kit with him, which contained garden shears, surgical bandages, tape and a bucket. They would turn Can up I and attempt... Can I just say, yeah. two weeks, she was there for two weeks. I know that other guys should have went along with it, but you go along with it for, until you've escaped the place and then, you know, deal with the situation. Oh, yeah. Okay, Surely. So, yeah, so, <laughs> so basically Parker and Smith stayed with her at all times like in the flat with her and Wade and Coach oh, would return okay. like they would turn up at the attic daily but due to Wade's height so he was like six foot odd he couldn't actually stand in the attic so he would send Coats up to perform the torture on her as he watched now Parker said that when they left him and Smith would like go up and give their cups of tea and soup and they said to the police they were aware how injured she was but they weren't able to do anything and she had at this time noticeable injuries to both hands feet and bruises on her face I'd also like to mention now as well, which, sorry, it is really grim. She was tied to this chair for two weeks and was never once allowed to move. So whenever she went to the toilet, oh. it was in this chair. So they also described that she was in a frightened state, asking when they would let her go, etc., which, of course, she is. Like, can you imagine? You would be so terrified and confused. However, 
Linda's parents, so she hadn't been calling daily, so they were worried about her. But Coates and another business friend, not Wade, went to her parents' door and warned them about calling the police, telling them Linda owed 10k to Coates and, like, she owed them money. So Linda's mum suggested calling the police on Linda. As she shouldn't be stealing money, however, Coates began shouting at her on the sofa and was like, if you do this, the police will look into me and I'll get years. So, like, just stay quiet and, like, she owes us money kind of thing. So her parents did. They kept quiet. And on the 20th of April 2011, six days after she disappeared, her parents were on their way to the supermarket and her parents received a phone call from Linda on their mobile. It came up with her caller ID. And there is no explanation to this day why she was allowed to make that call what the circumstances were around the call but she called her parents and her mum answered but she was just like so upset so couldn't speak so the dad did and she basically said she had gone to London and everything seemed normal she didn't say why she was there she said she'd contact them in a couple of days but this is actually the last time they would ever speak to her now Wade and Coates had been around the flat that day according to Parker and had actually cut off the tip of her finger um, while being tortured and questioned about her financial dealings, she mentioned a man she'd done business with in the past, which was John Glenn, and she had gave him a lot of Coates' money. So Coates then returned later himself. Normally the goes are two. So at this point, Parker's like, okay, you're just yourself. And Coates said he was like, he was really like noticeably angry. And he went to the attic and Parker heard Linda cry out and say no. And when Coates came down and prepared to leave, he had indicated that he had just removed her thumb. When Parker went to the attic, he could see her hand was like injured and she he couldn't notice a thumb on her hand. So Coates then went to John Glenn with the thumb and demanded the money back. And John handed over what he could and he used that thumb as like a threat to show what he was capable of. Linda would then stay there and be beaten and tortured for the next seven days. And on the 27th of April, which is 13 days since she was actually taken to that flat, Coates and Wade told Parker and Smith that they could leave the property. They left, but like, obviously they're like, this isn't good if we've been told to leave kind of thing. I mean, I don't think any of it's good. Like, part, like this is when he's like, mm. Parker's like, yeah, I knew that was a bad yeah, thing. This I mean, her arriving, like... <laughs> her arriving was a bad thing. So, um. Yeah, this is when they were told to leave. I would like to just note as well that the police are still unaware at this point that she is missing. There is no police have been made aware. Now, on the 28th, Coach dragged Linda into the bathroom and this is when he reportedly killed her. He decapitated her with a hacksaw and then put her remains into the hire car. They then drove her hire car to a friend of Wade's called Lee Winyards and he actually has a caravan up in Argyll. And they basically asked to use his boat to dispose of something. But Lee actually declined and was like, no, that's good. That, that's that's light <laughs> Well, it is. Yeah. And I think, you know, he probably never even in a million years thought it was going to be a body. But he knows it into drugs. He knows it into bad things. He's probably thinking, like, I'm not getting dragged into this. So mm-hmm. they then left and no one knows what they then did with Linda's body. And spoiler to this day, they don't know. Um, there's rumours that have gone about saying that he like coats burned her in a furnace and like disposed of her ashes. There's rumours saying she was buried somewhere and nobody knows. They then called back Parker and Smith and the four of them began cleaning the flat and it took a full month of cleaning. And everything that like was removable was removed and everything she touched was removed and burned by weed. Like I'm talking they replaced floorboards, like everything 
to like get rid of any evidence that Linda was ever in that flat. Now, bloody hell. Yeah. So basically, good news. Linda was then reported missing on the thirteenth of May, two thousand eleven. Nearly two weeks since her like supposed death date, which is a month since she had gone missing, and this is because fraud investigators actually contacted her parents, um, due to the defrauding of people in Glasgow. Remember the Chinese community. Mm-hmm. So they had got in touch with their parents, being like, "Hi, we're trying to contact your daughter as she's frauding people," and they were like, "Oh, we've not seen her in a month," and they were like, mm. "So they actually reported missing, but like." The you know the police arrived and on the thirteenth of May and spoke to the parents and they admitted they hadn't seen her since the thirteenth of April, but they also said they'd spoken to her on the phone on the twentieth of April. They didn't mention anything about coats, and I feel like that really? is definitely your time to be like we were threatened to silence, but they didn't say a single thing about coats. They basically oh. said like oh we think she's gone to London, and obviously to the police because like what I was then region when it was like a serious investigation wasn't opened about her disappearance they were actually more interested in her crime and I was like how could you not be but then it's like when you think about it look at the situation her life was in if it's her like parents are away. saying yeah if her parents are saying she just ran away to London they're gonna why would you not believe that mm-hmm. like you're definitely going to be like oh actually yeah of course of course she's ran away to London that makes sense um they did put up posters basically saying about her disappearance um saying she hadn't been seen and saying that she was driving the silver hire car this is the last time but that was it so it wasn't until three weeks later a full-scale missing person inquiry began as her mum received a call from linda on the 2nd of june 2011 but it wasn't her her phone was found in a bin in Ayrshire, a mile away from Wade's house. And this lady called her and basically was like, hi, I found this phone in the bin. So I just like called mum. And that's when like the lady, sorry, took the phone to the police station. And that's when her parents went to the police station and disclosed all the information. And like, this is when they opened up about coats and said what had happened. But by this point, this is the 2nd of June, like it's nearly two months, you know, so on the 14th of June 2011, her parents were, they made a broadcast appeal pleading for information and the police started a proof of life inquiry. I take it you know what that is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. But other I was, people might not. Yeah, so basically proof of life is like what it says on the tin. Basically, they're just looking for any evidence that this person's still alive. So it doesn't even need to, like it could be anything, any trace of them, any like money spent on their back, anything that can prove that they are still alive. So they began this inquiry, which, of course, showed nothing. And they did believe she was dead. They investigated coach due to business dealings and threatening her parents. But, like, nobody was willing to talk. Like, everyone was just silent about coats and they didn't want to say anything, which I don't blame people if he's killed this girl. Like, I'm really not, like, yeah. So as the investigation was going the police found an automatic number plate recognition camera had picked up her car on the motorway between Glasgow and Kilmarnock in East Ayrshire on the 20th of April. But both Coates and Wade's phones were picked up in the same area at the same time. When Coates had was spoken to by the police, he said he hadn't seen her since her disappearance, which it sounds like an awfully big coincidence that his phone, like phone, was in the same area as her. Do you know what I mean? So on the 16th of August 2011, there's also another big, big breakthrough. John Glenn, who we remember is the man that was threatened with the thumb, um, 
had kept quiet until Coates visited him on the 15th of August 2011 and asked for more money. When he had none, like, as far as he could get, he made him, like, strip naked and, like, threatened her, and uh, threatened him, sorry, and John was, like, he thought he was going to die. He thought he was the next victim, but he kind of left it at that. So he was so worried about this, he basically went straight to the police and told them everything he knew, which, major respect to him, because, like, that must have been terrifying to do, because you kind of know that like you're saying how dangerous you think this man is and you're basically grassing him into the police. So the police then actually managed to get more witnesses to come forward. A lady named Pamela Pearson, who was a close friend of Wade, came forward and said that he had recently told her that he'd helped dispose of a woman's body. Eventually, Parker and the other friend Smith came forward and told the police everything they knew, including the address. So they eventually do go to the police, but like... A bit too About late. time too. <laughs> yeah, like, I am like, okay, that's really good that you went to the police, but also you should have gone to the police, like, about three months ago. Um, So they actually, the police go to the flat that she was held and they forced entry. But of course, they're met with a fully refurbished flat. Now, the forensic examined for a week and found a blood speck on the floor next to the bath and it was identified with the DNA of Linda and a fingerprint on the door which matched to Coates. CCTV was also found of coats buying floorboards, white spirits, sandpaper and nails on the 25th of May 2011 for the cleanup. On the 31st of October 2011, Coates, Wade, Parker and Smith were all taken into custody and charged with abduction, torture and killing Linda Spence. Now this goes to court as all four pled not guilty and court began on the 16th of January 2013 in Glasgow High Court. Now, the jury was made up of six men and seven women, and they were, of course, told about her financial crimes and how she was being known as an informant. Now, they were told about her torture and murder, and this is basically what was kind of found out. So her right thumb and little finger were hacked off. Her kneecaps were smashed with a seven iron golf club. Her toes were crushed with tree loppers and her hands burned with a steam iron. Her legs were also beaten by a golf club. Now, there was actually a doctor in the court as well, Dr. Ritchie, and he told jurors that of all these injuries, like, of course, they would have been sore, but with the amputation and burns, it possibly could have led to infections and further discomfort if they were not cleaned and dressed properly. Now, I know in his torture kit, he had, like, medical bandages or whatever, but, like, an amputated finger, you can't just put, like, a boots medical bandage over that. He actually said it's very difficult to measure pain as it's subjective, but in all these cases, they are all painful injuries. Some bleeding would have been likely, but if pressure was applied to the amputation or if the severed artery went to spasm, the volume of blood may have not been large, he said. But Lee, the boatman, came and basically described the car they arrived in and it matched the one that Linda was missing in on her like posters. And they, he basically was very open about what they came to him for. Like He was like, they wanted to borrow my boat to dispose of something. An inmate also stood up in court and that was Peter Hardley was his name. And he was friends with Coates when he was awaiting trial. And he basically said that Coates had told him that he murdered Linda by holding her nose and mouth, um, sorry, holding her nose as her mouth was covered, cutting off her head and burning her body in a furnace, setting it to its hottest temperature to get rid of all of her. There had been others there when she was killed, but nobody else directly involved. Now, Harley was accused by the defence of being a liar and basically saying he was using this for the benefits of early release and that he just made the whole thing up to be like, look, if I testify against him, can I get like a couple of years knocked off my sentence kind of thing which I can imagine being a very common thing to happen 
Now, Parker's interview was actually shown from the day he was arrested and he denies being involved, but he knew his golf club was used to hit Linda and unsure by who, but it's because he found it completely twisted, which to twist a golf club by hitting somebody, like you must have been hitting it such a force. John Glenn, the guy, the, the um, I feel so bad calling him the thumb guy, but the guy that was threatened the thumb, gave evidence from behind a screen as he was actually put into a witness protection programme, which... I was really glad when I found that out, actually. Like, not for, like, it's not good as in when it's protection, but, like, he definitely needed protection. So I was, like, glad for him there. And he basically told the jury that Coates had threatened to kill him and had shown him Linda's thumb. Both Coates and Wade had threatened any potential witnesses, saying that Wade was also scared of Coates, and so were the other two on trial, which I completely understand. Like, the other two must be absolutely terrified. On the 6th of March, Parker and Smith were cleared of murder and given a reduced charge of detaining Linda, assault and attempting to defeat the ends of justice. And that was handed down by the Crown's dead and they agreed with that. It was fine. Now, Wade and Coates continued to be on trial for murder and both still pleaded not guilty. Both Parker and Smith appeared in court as witnesses and gave evidence against Coates and Wade. And Parker, like, broke down in tears, basically. And Smith had said the same. He was just too scared to do anything. And just, like, what a horrific ordeal they had witnessed. Which I was like, yeah, fair enough. But then I was like, you could have done something. Like, there must have been something. Like, if you just called the police to, like, come to the flat while she was there and they were there. Like, there you go. Do you know what I mean? Kind of thing. But anyway, both Wade and Coates actually took the stand. Um, Wade was questioned... Um, by the prosecutor and said that Parker and Smith's story was total fantasy. He had no idea of Linda's whereabouts, but hoped that one day she would hand herself in. So he's going around the thing of like, she's still alive and well. I don't know what they're talking about. I've kidnapped nobody kind of thing. Coates then took stand and told the court he was a close friend of Linda and he actually helped her escape Glasgow as she was being threatened by another businessman. So she stayed in the flat as a safe house and then she disappeared, taking his laptop and Parker and Smith's drug stash. He said the attic was being used as a cannabis factory, not a torture den, which this guy's just like gone with a complete different story to like anybody else. Like at least Wade's like, I wasn't involved. He's literally saying like, sorry, we we're just growing drugs in that flat. And I helped her with a safe house. Coates said it was all lies that had been told. And he did think people were actually scared of not him, but the police. And the police were pressuring these people into lying. He denied showing Glenn a thumb. And his defence is what I'm going to go back to the DNA. They actually backed this up by saying, like, Linda's DNA is an explanation that she was in the flat. Like, maybe she cut herself. It's right next to the bathroom sink. And, like, the Crown had not proven that Linda was even dead. There is no evidence that Linda has died. There is no solid evidence about that at all. But the prosecutor argued back, saying if she was staying in that flat, her DNA would be everywhere. But there was absolutely nothing. Like, there was one speck of blood in the bathroom. There was absolutely no DNA anywhere else in that flat. They also said the lack of contact from her was enough to prove that she was indeed dead. Now, on the 2nd of April 2013, the jury retired for deliberations and it took 20 hours over five days to come to the verdict. On the 8th of April 2013, Wade and Coates were found guilty of abduction, torture and murdering 27-year-old Linda. Coates was found unanimously guilty of murdering and disposing of her body. Wade was found guilty of both of these but cleared for decapitation. Coates was also found guilty of threatening John Glenn. Now, the judge described Wade as a violent and dangerous man and he said that Coates was the prime mover and convinced he had a devious and cruel personality. 
Now, David Parker, who owned the flat, he was 38 years old when he was charged and he was given three, uh, 11 years and three months. Paul Smith, who was the other kind of accomplice, was 47 and he was given 11 years. Philip Wade, who was 42 at the time, was given 30 years minimum. And Colin Coates, who was 42 as well, was given 33 years minimum, which at the time was one of the longest jail sentences in Scottish history at that kind of stage. And when that was read out, apparently the whole courtroom just like gasped because they actually couldn't believe how long he was being given. Her parents, James and Patricia, said they could not begin to understand or forgive what's happened. And they would just like to like know where her daughters, like where the daughter's remains are. Coates and Wade, however, have never told the family where the body remains are. Searches happened, but nothing ever came up. Both also tried to appeal their sentences, I'd like to add, and of course, both got declined. Now, in February 2014, Linda's mum, Patricia, aged 57, was diagnosed with terminal cancer and was given like a maximum of kind of two years. So I couldn't really find much about it, but I'm assuming that unfortunately she's passed away now. And her last kind of dying wish was basically just asked, like, what happened to her body? Like, can you just tell me, please, like, where it is? And they refused. Now, Colin Coates now is basically still in jail, of course. But in January 2019, he was found with a plastic pointed T-shaped wed- like, like weapon, basically made from cutlery. And he was put in segregation and removed from his open university course as punishment for this. And he had four months added onto his sentence and moved to a different prison. Now, October 2021, where we are now, the news article that made me realise this case the 50-year-old was found to have the um, uh, phone in his cell and the prison staff were tipped off about this. He was then actually given an extra 12 months on top of his sentence after he was found guilty with the phone at HMP Glenockill, is where he is. Now, Wade has taken a different path completely and it's actually... There's lots of controversial opinions about this, so I've only got two things left to tell you, so I just want to kind of say this one thing and I'd love to hear people's thoughts on it. So in 2009 Wade actually became a counsellor in Kilmarnock Prison for the other prisoners. He was 49 when that happened. He was trained by the Samaritans and the Samaritans have basically released a statement because Linda's family were like, if he's so caring, tell us where the body is then. And apparently other prisoners also find this ridiculous. But Samaritans were like anyone can reform, like etc, etc. So he offers counselling to other prisoners now is what Wade does which I am on the opinion of like if you're a nice enough person to reform and stuff just tell the family what they deserve to know you can't be this like really nice guy in prison but then still like torturing the family in this way Sam I don't know your thoughts on it I completely agree with you 100% like I believe people can reform and you can be a um, counsellor etc but you're still being a bit of an arsehole if you're not going to be telling folk where the body is like, yeah, absolutely. I don't think he should be a counsellor until he, like, you know, absolutely, absolutely. start actual reforming. Yeah. Now, there's one thing I want to tell you just at the end here. I'm going to be honest, I don't know a lot of information about it. I find it really difficult. So if anyone knows any more information about this part, I would really like to know. So we're going to go way back to the start, back to Zocal again. Remember that Albanian man who married a friend and maybe married her, etc.? Well, you remember I told you that basically she was recruited as an informer by the defunct Scottish Crime and Drug Enforcement Agency. Like, that was obviously ages ago. So, as an informer, like, you obviously have, like, a certain type of protection. There's people that, like, check in with you, etc. 
whoever her contact person was, like I'm not sure and I could word this bit totally wrong, but she always had a contact. They were made aware of her disappearance 48 hours into it. And they didn't think it was worth telling the police. They didn't think no it was way. like bad enough yet. They were told 48 hours, I don't know how, they were made aware. Obviously she was an informant, so they knew within 48 hours she was missing and didn't act upon it. Now I really struggled to like awful. Well, I really struggled to find any other information about this and there's actually not a lot of even fellow podcasts or anything about her really. But I heard it was briefly mentioned, but I really struggled to find information. So if I'm just missing a really obvious article, send me that. But apparently forty hours in her the contact of her being an informant was made aware. But also as well, like that's something that people kind of looked into as well. Like obviously these two guys are saying they did it, etc. And I completely believe they do. But on the 14th of April, two days before she officially went missing, she was made in like she was recruited as an informant. So like she was an informant against like quite some big stuff. And you know, that might have had something to do with it. Maybe why people didn't really go looking for it. But it's yeah, that should have been picked up. Yeah. But basically that is the story of Linda Spence. I was really, really shocked. I didn't know that much about that. And as always, if you have any more information that we've missed, it'd be great to know. And Samantha, anything you'd like to add? That was wild. And that also is not the Linda Spence that I thought I knew. That was so. really good. That I'm really glad yeah. that you weren't going to pipe up and be like, that's who I meant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that... it's crazy. Like the fact that there's so many folk involved and like the mum and dad, oh, they must have felt awful. And the oh, informant gee. and then those other two in this house for two bloody weeks and did nothing about it. Like I know this was a scary guy torturing people, but like one we call or plant a camera or something, I guess it if I was in that situation I don't know how I would be for two weeks but you know what I mean act do something yeah like yeah I'm totally with you like I'm totally with you and I just there's so many things like I know that her lifestyle wasn't the best however in no way did she deserve what happened to her of course she deserved like consequences of blowing people's money jail time like done for fraud etc but I do like this was completely unnecessary and inhumane really what they did to her and I just yeah. can't believe she was able to be missing for like three months they were able to renovate a whole flat and not one person in her life but it's that thing of because of the lifestyle she led that's why yeah I thought it was very interesting as well like you've renovated a whole flat and it took you a month to clean the whole place yet amazingly forensics still managed to find like two things I thought that was that was it just blew my mind I was impressed yeah it's wild but on that note enjoy the rest of your Halloween Samantha and I are off to do a spooky ghost walk and we'll speak to you in November Ooh. <laughs>